Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. And we've very much been looking forward to talking with our guest on this episode, Randy Spelling, who's had a fascinating life journey. Randy was born into Hollywood royalty as the son of legendary TV producer Aaron Spelling, who had massive hits with shows like Charlie's Angels, Beverly Hills 90210, Dynasty, and The Love Boat. Randy grew up in the largest home in Los Angeles, a 123-room mansion, but he decided to forge a path away from Hollywood. As a result, he now lives in Oregon and is a life and business coach, helping others live better lives, reach new levels of success, and find lasting happiness. Randy, we thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. You say that despite money and celebrity and success, you really struggled to find your own way in life. Why was that? I wanted to feel purposeful and I wanted to find my place in the world. That was just always something that was really important to me. So I think I tried to fit myself into what I thought I should do or I needed to do. And it, it wasn't my path. It just didn't work. And I liked many of the things I did along the way. I was an actor for years and I was really creative and I, I liked doing that, but there was just something more that was missing. And I guess I, I sort of reverse engineered uh, life, so to speak, because so much of what I already had seemed to be the pinnacle for people, you know, money, fame, success, big house, wealthy. And yet I, I still was a little bit barren inside. And so this created a void big enough that I wanted to fill it. And of course I, I searched many different things, filled it with a lot of the wrong things. And this led me to, want to fill myself up with whatever was going to lead me to living a purposeful life where I felt connected and happy and joyful. Do you think that a purposeful life and a fulfilled life are the same thing? Did you not feel like you were fulfilled until you felt like you'd found your purpose as a life coach? That's a great question. I, I think there's overlap but I think fulfillment, I could be fulfilled in my day doing various things, activities, uh, you know, feeling connection with other people, but it doesn't feel the same as purpose. For, for some reason, purpose is how I walk in the world, how I interact with people, um, sort of, I guess many people look at that as my, my reason for being here. And I've met with so many people over the years who were searching for this purpose. What am I supposed to do in life? What, what's, what's that, you know, people look at Oprah or they look at 
uh, you, you know, presidents or CEOs or doctors or lawyers, and they go, okay, they're, they're fulfilling their role. I want to find my role and I don't know what that is. So it's, it's similar, but a little bit different. What role did drugs and drinking play in prolonging your search to find yourself? Oh, a huge role. So drinking and drugs for me and over the years, I've worked with many people with various addictions. Whenever you start using drinking, participating in the addiction that you're in, it really, it, it, it almost stops your growth right there. And so for me, um, I, you know, I started drinking, I wasn't addicted, but I started drinking when I was 13, 14 years old. And I feel in some ways that I, I stopped growing in some ways there. So when I stopped drinking and using drugs, I felt that age again. I felt that I was re-entering the world as a 14-year-old child, in many ways, very innocent, very raw, exposed, but yet I'm an adult, you know, 26 years old, and everything was really scary because I, I didn't know how to function and exist as a 26-year-old. Felt like I was back at 14. And I've seen this with many, many, many people who struggle with addiction. During the pandemic, a lot of people have developed really unhealthy habits, and it may not be drinking, but I've seen a lot of it with more people on social media, that that seems to just be an attention taker and a time waster. And people can really couch it and saying, well, I'm not drinking. I'm not doing drugs. It's not really an addiction, you know, like they can make themselves (laughs) feel better, even though it is. What wisdom would you offer for people who are involved in that? And this is a two-parter because I was also very curious to know what role do you think social media would have played in your life if it was around when you were a teenager? Hmm. Such an important topic. My answer to this is a quick story. Last night, I was on the couch reading a book. My wife went for a walk. Kids were in bed. She comes home and we're talking and she's on the phone doing a couple things and I'm asking a question and then she's finishing something up on the phone. And it wasn't just her. It was was this realization. I said, I think the phone is the downfall of society. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't demonize technology. I'm not a Luddite. I, I, I'm on social media quite a bit. So I think there it's a tool like anything else, right? Just like if you, if you go back to playing a record, beautiful way of listening to music. And if someone is listening to records nonstop, I mean, if you look at someone's phone usage, and they go sit down at the record player 936 times a day, you would say that's a problem, (laughs) right? Yes. (laughs) But we look at that and we're like, oh no, six hours today. Okay. I'll try and do better, but it doesn't happen. It it rarely Mm -hmm. happens. And I think there's an awareness now that is emerging and coming out, but I think it is very much a tool that needs to be used sporadically. And I think it is so far out of control. And I'll just speak for myself. There are days that I will loop, I will check social media and I'll check Instagram. Then I'll go to Facebook and then I'll, I'll I'll go to my email. And then all of a sudden I'll check the weather and then I'll put it down. 
And somehow three minutes later, I'm in the loop of checking something again unconsciously. And I'll go, what just happened? What I just got hijacked. I'm doing something again, completely unconscious. So there are times that I will literally playfully, i throw my phone across the room or the, uh, you know, across the couch and say enough. And I have to say it out loud, loudly enough, stop, walk away, go do something else because attention getting shorter focus is getting more lean people are not able to concentrate the second part of your question is um now i'm i don't preach this okay but my kids do not they're not on devices i have a a nine-year-old who's turning 10 in a couple days and a and an eight-year-old they are not on devices. We don't watch TV together. They have literally watched a play on TV two times and ballet a couple times. That's it. Now, I know that's not for everyone and I'm, I'm not preaching for people to do that. But the thing is, is I also watch them able to sit for 20 minutes at a time and come up with a game, talk about something, sit and read a book. And I really see value in that because if you talk to anyone who is in their 70s, 80s, look at the use of their language. Look at the stories that they have when they were kids. I really feel that that is missing. We are all consumed with devices. And for kids to navigate social media, personally, I I don't think that it's needed at all. And what I'm seeing with families is that it's causing so many problems because there is bullying. It's very easy to hide behind a like or an emoji or a dislike or a thumbs down or a comment. And it's causing so much anxiety, so much depression that it's, it, it, it's sad. It's really sad to me. And I think that, you know, collectively, hopefully we can at least have more and more of these conversations to really ask just because we're on social media and we're doing things. What are our habits with that? Is it, is it leading to our happiness? Is it really truly contributing or can we, can we at least do an experiment for a day and see, Hey, do I feel good looking on social for five minutes, but after 10 minutes or 15 minutes, it goes the other way. I don't feel good anymore. I'm comparing too much. I'm looking at other people's lives and somehow I'm garnering a thought that tells me that I'm not where I need to be, or I'm not them, or I'm not there. I don't have those opportunities. So I start to feel bad about myself. If we're doing this, kids are doing this all the time. And I think it's having a harmful effect. We thank you for being part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. If you're like us, you want to do the right thing to keep your body healthy. So stay tuned to hear more about how our Nobody Told Me listeners can get a tremendous offer from our sponsor, Ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women. You know, vitamin labels can be disappointing and misleading with questionable ingredients and sugary formulas. But then... 
there's Ritual, made for skeptics by skeptics. With their multivitamin for women, what you see is what you get, and what you get is good. You may have heard us talk about Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, which was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women over the age of 18. Laura and I started taking Ritual Essential for Women multivitamins a couple of years ago. I look forward to taking them every day because I really like the way they smell minty and leave your mouth feeling fresh without the fishy aftertaste that some other vitamins have. And you know, that's important to me too. I also love that its capsule design is gentle on an empty stomach since I take Ritual Essential for Women every morning before I work out. The minty essence in every bottle keeps things fresh and helps make taking your multis actually enjoyable every day. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is one of the few women's multivitamins that's USP verified, meaning what's on the label is what's in the formula. It's also soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Ritual is offering our listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com NTM to start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. Again, Ritual is offering our listeners 30% off during your first month. This is a great deal. All you have to do is visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. And while you're there, check out their other fantastic products as well. Again, that's ritual.com slash NTM. You mentioned bullying uh, just a, a minute ago, and you were quoted in an article in The Hollywood Reporter recently about coaching bullies in the entertainment world. And I'm wondering, what does it take to get them to change their behavior? If somebody is a big Hollywood executive and known for bullying, and that's how he's always gotten his way in, in the business, what does it take to get them to change? And what do you think it takes for most of us to change a behavior? Pain. Interesting. It takes pain. Mm -hmm. I think the reason why people make changes that they do is because they are struggling or they're in pain and they bump up against that so much that someone can hopefully get to the point where they say enough, I want to do something about this, right? They may not, I mean, look at it in terms of physical pain. You may not go to the dentist right away if you have a little bit of a toothache, but if you start being able not to chew and it's affecting your daily life. And it's that pain that's aching nonstop. At some point you tap out and you say, I, I need to go get, I need to address this. Um, sometimes people are aware that they need to address it. Sometimes they're not, but the way to get people to change is bring them face to face with pain. And if they can't recognize the pain that they may be causing someone, they can recognize what pain means for them and what they stand to lose and whatever motivates them. If you take that away, that can be scary. So if someone's motivated by money, if someone's motivated by power or success, and you say that could be gone tomorrow and, and start to create for them, what does life look like if that is gone? If you cannot do what you've been doing, imagine life without your daily routine of going into the office and doing this and not being able to create on large scale, how does that affect you? If someone can actually get 
to um, put themselves in that position, that's scary. That could be painful. I love your argument for people who say that they aren't motivated. I heard you say that everyone's really motivated by something and has drive, whether that be to just be watching Netflix for the entire day or or going on social media, they have the desire and the drive to do something. So how can they channel that desire and put it towards something that will get them more to where they want to be in their life? So absolutely right. We are all consistent, period. So I love when people go, I'm just not consistent. That's a false statement. We are consistent. We just can be consistent about the wrong things. So part of it is hammering that in is really imagine that was a, a, a little chip that you insert inside um, a camera, right? You need a little disc to take pictures. Same thing. You insert that disc that says, wait, I already am consistent because part of the gap that stops people and limits people is that they think that they are bad at something. And if a child thinks that they're bad at math, and then they tell themselves that over and over again, after the 20th time saying that neurologically, you know, through brain science, it shows that that gets wired together. So then they literally are creating their reality that they are bad at math and it becomes bigger and worse and, you know, more of this emotional thing. Same thing with habits and same things with, uh, let's take losing weight or uh, getting in shape, uh, saving money, you know, eating differently, all of these things that if we tell ourselves the story, I can't be consistent and judging from my past, what my past has showed me is that I I'm good for a week. And then I fall off. That story gets created that says, Nope, I'm not good at this. So it becomes a barrier. So if someone uses the energy that's already, so the stream is already flowing in the direction of consistency. You are consistent. You're consistent with Netflix. You're consistent getting on your phone. You're consistent with hitting snooze in the morning. You're consistent with drinking your coffee every day without fail. You will go to the end of the earth to get that cup of coffee because that is just what you do. If you can do that, you can channel that into the habits that you want to create. It just takes the same amount of practice. Why are you in that habit of watching Netflix and doing, because A, you've developed the habit. So you've practiced it. And B is that it gives you some sort of reward. So we have to create enough momentum to get the reward of eating better, going to bed earlier, putting the phone down more. And when someone can be aware of the award that they're getting, our brains love instant gratification. So if we can start to find the gratification in it, like, oh, I have more energy during the day. Oh, I'm feeling better. Oh, I'm, I am actually a little less anxious. Then that becomes momentum, motivation, and drive. It becomes material for someone to go, I want to keep going. Uh, one last thing I'll say about this. Another problem to this that I find is that people 
might need someone to be accountable to, right? It's, it's why coaching works. It's why therapy works. It's, it's having someone else to be able to show you what reward you're getting. Cause some people will try and let's say eat better for a few days, but they don't really notice anything yet. But when they're accountable to someone and they have a third party asking them questions and saying, Hey, but what about this? What about your energy levels? What about your, uh, your connection with your kids or how you're feeling on a daily basis? Do, are you waking up with more energy? Are you going to bed at night? Questions that they might not think to ask when they can start to look at the full picture and fit in some pieces where they say, Hey, actually I haven't had a headache in three days. That's amazing. I normally have this low lying headache every day, or I, I, I usually walk around feeling lethargic or inflamed and I'm not something is helping maybe waking up earlier or eating differently or eliminating certain things from my diet. Maybe these things are really helping me. So that creates that momentum to continue that, those healthy habits. What kind of an impact do you think the pandemic has had on our ability to really tap into our true selves and live better lives? Hasn't it kind of given us a moment or a year or more than a year to think about these things in a, in a different way than any of us have ever thought before? I think so. I think... I think it's been multifaceted. So yes, this is why people are rethinking their whole lives. They're rethinking their job, career path, family life. Do I really need to be in the city? Do I really need to you know, work this hard to just make ends meet? Can I move a little bit more rural or outside where, you know, people are, are placing value on different things. And I think the pandemic really helped to create that pause enough for new awareness to arise. I also think that um, for better or worse, it's created a lot of confusion because with, and I don't mean this politically, this, I, I mean, this is just observation. Mm-hmm. Um, we are told so many things and, and in the last year and a half, people have been hanging on numbers and do this, but don't do this, but run around in a circle. Nope. Go left. Nope. Go right. Now it's here. Now it's there. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in generality because right. I, I don't want to get too specific. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the point is, is some people have been really taken on that roller coaster and it's caused some ill effects. But on the flip side, I think some of that is a wake up call to ask what are your thoughts? What are your views? What feels right? What doesn't? What makes sense? What doesn't? How do you want to live? How do you want to connect? What is important? So the pandemic, again, for better or worse, has, in my opinion, really helped for people to ask more questions than they were asking. And I think that is a benefit. Since so many people have emerged from the pandemic with mental health issues, is it your thought that that is going to be something that continues, that these levels are going to be crazy high in the distant future? 
Or do you think that once a lot of the anxiety about coronavirus dissipates, that people will go back to who they were before? It's kind of a dismal answer, but I think there's going to be an aftermath just like we're seeing now, because some of that was there before it just got amplified. So I don't really like a lot of it was related to the fact that during the pandemic, people did have all that time to figure out if they were happy before where they wanted to be all these questions that they really thought deeply about and realized oh God, I'm nowhere near where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I'm in the wrong field. Like, do you think that created it or do you think it was there before? I think there's both. I think there was some propensity to anxiety, let's say, that was there before. Some people, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people where uh, anxiety presents new. They say, well, really since the pandemics, you know, I owned a restaurant and I lost my restaurant and I'm not sure what to do. And I don't know what my future looks like. I think that's something very real, right? And and there's it, it's very cause and effect. And but, you almost hope that when people do get back to whatever they want to do, or say that restaurant owner is able to reopen the restaurant, that maybe he'll have a different outlook, and eventually that will lead to more fulfillment than he had before the pandemic. I think so, and I definitely want to think like that. I think for a lot of people that will happen. There will be a new self, a new path, new something that will emerge. And it gets messy and a little bit dark before it gets light. And I think that's sort of the catalytic effect that's happening. And this was definitely a catalyst for a lot of people. But I do think that, you know, the mental health uh, situation needs to be addressed. Luckily, we're in a day and age where there are so many tools and it's part of the conversation. So less shame and more acceptance of, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling anxious and yeah, let's talk about it as opposed to that being hidden. So I'm very happy that it's, it's coming more and more to light and it's people are having conversation about this because at the end of the day, you know, life can be challenging no matter who you are. And we're all in this together. So, you know, I I think anyone, anyone can relate to feeling anxious at times. I I don't, I haven't met many people who've never felt anxious at all in their lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As the son of such a legendary TV producer, Aaron Spelling, you were sort of expected to be either an actor or a producer, and you had this roadmap as to where you were, you know, supposed to go in life. And Obviously, you ended up taking a different path. I'm wondering what advice you would have for anyone who feels pushed to follow in a parent's career path, whether it's a restaurant owner or a doctor or a plumber, whatever it might be. Ask a few very pertinent questions. Does this fulfill you? you know, is, is this, and some people don't know, which is the beauty of it, right? Some people try and they go, okay, I'm Mm going to follow in the family business. I'm going to go and work for my, my mother or my father. And, and they try it out for a period of time. My advice is you're never stuck. You're never pigeonholed. There are always other options. And what I've told people in the past is let the the parental business, the family business, 
be something that you can always do. But if there's something else that you want to do, try those things when you're young, because by process of elimination, you will know, you will find the, the path that you're ultimately supposed to be on. But you, if you don't try, you will always have regret. And then, you know, that's the quintessential midlife crisis where people go, oh my gosh, I, I really wanted to do this and I, I never did. So try it when you're young, try the things that you think you really want to do, take that as far as you can. And when you find that it's not fulfilling you anymore, or it's not giving you that feeling that you're after, then look at doing something else. And you can always potentially go into the family business, mm-hmm. but um, having that be the path right off the bat without other options I don't know. It's sort of like choosing a partner or mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but when I'm choosing food, sometimes I have to look at the things I don't want to do. I don't want to eat before I go, Oh, I really want this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a, that's a great way to put it. And Randy, as you know, our show is called nobody told me. So at the end of each episode, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about fulfillment or boundaries or happiness or the meaning of life that you wish they had long ago when you were trying to figure out who you wanted to be? The first thing that comes up is just nobody told me how much of a struggle it would be. And I think I would have wanted to know that not, not to paint a bleak picture, but to really understand that life comes along. Life is beautiful and wonderful. And also part of being human is going through struggle and challenge. And I think I wanted to be more prepared for that because I felt at times I just got dropped in the deep end and wasn't able to swim and I had to figure it out and I can doggy paddle. Okay. But at some point, you know, you get tired. And if, if I had some more techniques and some more strokes, it would have really helped me. So that's, that's what I wish. It's almost like I could be more prepared when the struggle came to know that it gets hard and then I'm capable enough to move through it and to believe in myself enough to know that I am capable to move through it. Wow. How can people connect with you on social media and the internet? Sure. My social media, I'm, I'm really active on Instagram at Randy Spelling. Uh, Facebook is Randy Spelling Coaching. And my website is randyspelling.com. Well, Randy, this has been an absolute delight to talk with you. We could go for I hours. I was going to say, <laughs> I, we could. We didn't even get to talk about boundaries, but I, next time. I know there are so many different things. We'd love to have you back on again. Yeah, I would absolutely love to come back on. Well, we will, we will set it up in the future. Okay. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Randy Spelling. And again, his website is randyspelling.com. And he wrote a book that was published a few years ago. You might want to check that out too. It's called Unlimiting You, Step Out of Your Past and Into Your Purpose. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 